0: Hello, everybody, and welcome to The Schnapp, a.k.a. the Serene Home Nursing Agency podcast. I'm your host, Jesse Condon. Schnapp is here to explore the inner workings of the American healthcare system. We want to educate and inspire our listeners by diving into the minds of healthcare professionals and people with extraordinary stories.
1: I love being with the patient. I love giving one-to-one nursing, which is, I feel, the way nursing should be. And I think it's important, even being in an administrative nursing position, that you still have that ability and that love and that want to take care of patients.
0: Today, we have a very special guest with us. She is one of Serene's very own. She's the director of nursing for the company. Her name is Jennifer Laper-Iffordy. We're going to talk about a bunch of different things today with Jen, including the healthcare system, the difference between home care and hospital care. Um, we touch upon COVID 19 and uh, infection and disease control. And one of the most important things, I think, of the episode, which is leadership, how to be a good leader, an efficient leader, and how to also learn from the people underneath you when you are in a leadership position. The reason that I chose Jen for this is because I have the privilege of working with her very closely every day, and I see personally that she is a good leader, or I like to say that she is a great leader as opposed to a good leader. And uh, I want to learn, and I want my viewers and listeners to learn as well, just how she does. Does her job and how she's able to become such a good leader. So I'm very excited to have her here today and I hope you guys are too. Jen, how are you doing today?
1: I'm doing great. Thank you so much for having me.
0: No, thank you for coming. Seriously. I guess we could get started. Um, tell us a little bit about yourself and I guess i uh, get into how you got into healthcare and the career path that you've chosen.
1: Sure. So what to know about me. I'm married to my wonderful husband for close to 20 years. I have three great boys, including a set of twins. I live out east on Long Island, four dogs, six chickens, chickens. big piece of property, lots of trees, living the country life. I've been a nurse for close to 24 years now, and it is the best possible career path I could have chosen.
0: Yes. so I know... That you've done different types of nursing. Uh, Can you basically explain for our listeners the different types of uh, or different styles of nursing that you've done? I know infusion being one of them and whatnot. So can you elaborate on that a little bit?
1: Sure. I'll take you down my career path and maybe explain little bits of each. Mm -hmm. I started my career as an RN in the hospital, as many RNs do. I found it to be great education-wise, but not so good in terms of being congruent with my family life. So I left the hospital. I went into home health care. I was a nursing supervisor in home health care. I then became an assistant director of nursing and long-term care. And all the while, I worked as a per diem infusion nurse specializing in adult and pediatric infusion and central lines.
0: So for those of you who don't know, um, Jen, can you just uh, elaborate on what infusion exactly is?
1: Sure. Infusion nursing is the method by how we deliver in IV medications in the home care setting. And why this is preferable is, A, it's much more comfortable for the patient to be in their home versus being in an infusion center or a, ho- a hospital setting. And B, it's often much more cost-effective, in terms of insurance,
0: okay. I know that working with you every day, we are beginning to implement infusion services here. Right? Is there a big opportunity on Long Island? Do you see a big opportunity on Long Island for Serene to expand into infusion services? Is that why you're you've been pushing it so much lately?
1: Yes. For the past couple of years, um, it's been my my love to really bring that to Nassau County and Suffolk County because the infusion uh, home infusion presence really isn't well established out there. You have uh, most of the companies based in New York city or in Western Nassau, border of Queens. And I feel like we really need to have a local company that is interested in serving long Island patients in their home.
0: Interesting. Now, from what I know, you also, you're the director of nursing at Serene, right? You you have a lot of responsibilities in regards to the whole nursing department answers to Jen. But at the same time, are you still work in the field currently for in, for uh, infusion services, correct?
1: I do. For the past 12 and a half to 13 years, I've worked as a per diem infusion nurse, specializing in adults and pediatrics.
0: So is there a, a reason why, even though you've gotten to this To this level of directing a whole department, is there a reason why you still like to be in the field that you still go out and do the services for people as opposed to just having your nurses do it for them?
1: I do. I love being with the patient. I love giving one-to-one nursing, which is, I feel, the way nursing should be. And I think it's important, even being in an administrative nursing position, that you still have that ability and that love and that want to take care of patients.
0: So do you find it, I don't know if difficult is the word, but do you find it, I guess, difficult to find nurses that have that same mindset as you? Basically, I know just from knowing you personally that you hold yourself to a high standard. So do you hold your nurses to that same high standard when you are hiring them to do these services for people?
1: Very much so. It's very important to me that they understand that the patient is a human being and that we have to hold ourselves to the best standards of practice in the infusion industry and in the home care industry. So I do look for potential employees who are performers in terms of how I would hold myself up with regards to standards. They need to look at the whole gestalt of the patient. They need to understand you know, there is a family and a system in place. Also, in the patient's home, they need to be able to view the patient critically with a critical clinical eye, and they need to be conscientious, intelligent, out of the box thinkers, and that is difficult to come by.
0: I like how you said how they have to be out of the box thinkers for different situations that may occur. We do Serene Home Nursing Agency is obviously a home care agency, but you said that you've worked in the in hospitals as well. Do you find that in hospitals as opposed to homes that you have to have more of that critical thinking or like w- which one would you th- say I guess is like the more difficult in uh, I guess navigating the, the tasks that you have to do?
1: That's a really good question. In hospitals, you may have up to eight patients with different varying levels of needs. Some may need minimal assistance. Others may have some some pretty significant dementia and others still may have higher needs for other reasons. So you definitely need those critical thinking skills and time management skills. However, in the hospital situation, you're able to lean outside the door and if you need assistance, whether it's with a difficult IV stick or persuading a patient to take medications that are necessary for them, you have that ability to have someone else, another team member, come and back you up. In a home situation, it's a little bit different. You're relying on your own skills, your own experience, um, in order to navigate what are sometimes very often sticky situations, whether it's uh, somebody is difficult to gain access to, to give infusion medications, or there's other comorbidities that are preventing certain things from happening, whether the patient's not compliant or there's family issues. You have to really, I would say, draw on your experience, be able to synthesize that into what needs to get done. And that can be difficult um, sometimes for someone who's a novice to home care, Mm -hmm. even a seasoned hospital nurse.
0: Really? That's, That's interesting. So basically what I'm taking away from that is in a hospital, the stress that you have as a nurse in a hospital, you have an excessive workload you have eight different patients you're doing eight different things for eight different people essentially and that could be stressful but it's interesting to me that you're saying during home care you have one patient but the stress is a little different because i guess in an in a hospital you you essentially have other nurses or doctors that you could say what do i do in this position and people in home care don't have that correct
1: Yes, correct. There's a lot more autonomy in home care. I mean, you do have backup in forms of 24-hour on call, where there's always a nursing supervisor who can answer questions for you, but you are really relying on your skills and experience to guide you through what you need to do at home.
0: And I think that just ties us back into question i asked you before about holding your nurses to a high standard now i kind of understand why you you uh shed a little light on the situation as to why you have to hold them to such a high standard because you need to trust them in order to put them in these homes by themselves yes i think it's pretty funny honestly that we're talking about you as a leader and and distributing nurses and making sure that they're they're up to your par up to your standards for nursing because uh i don't know if you guys know this but Jen, you, didn't you tell me that you never really wanted management abilities or responsibilities? I should say.
1: Yes, this is absolutely true. I was never interested in going to nursing administration. In fact, I scoffed at it as a new nurse. But quickly found myself being promoted up the ladder wherever I was. It's not a pat on the back. It's been a difficult journey. Not mm-hmm. a self pat on the back. It's been a. Di- it certainly has been a difficult journey and a learning journey, but. I'm glad I'm here. I'm happy I'm here, and I would encourage anyone who's thinking about nursing administration to get that wealth of experience in various different areas of nursing and then go for it.
0: I think that's uh it's funny cuz we you and I had a conversation the other day. I said to you that I believe leadership skills can be enhanced you can teach people leadership skills and you could you could read books and you could listen to other leaders tell you how to become a leader but at the same time i also think that leadership the want to be in the front of the room saying we should do this this is the problem this is the solution that we should implement the want or just like and not even the want like i feel like some some people are naturally just drawn without even realizing it into those leadership roles. And it's I, that's why I always find it funny that you say, like, you never wanted that responsibility because I see how you operate in the office. I'm like, what do you mean you don't want to be a leader? Like it, <laughs> doesn't, it doesn't make any sense to me because you are a great leader. So I think that it's funny that we spoke about this the other day, and now I'm interviewing you and we're kind of getting into it, that you're a great leader naturally. And I think that you also worked many years to enhance your skills on becoming a leader, which even brought you over that edge. And like I said, I think that you're one of the best leaders that we have. So it's pretty cool that even though you didn't want those responsibilities, you were still able to take them on with such a, I guess, strength, I could say.
1: Well, I really appreciate that. Mm -hmm. I will say to your point that part of being a good leader is probably some innate skills, So those of you out there, those nurses out there that are thinking about nursing leadership, really become the one on the floor or in your specialty area that the other nurses, the newer nurses look towards for guidance and for mentorship. You know, use your skills in that way. Always try to lift up your fellow nurses, teach them whatever you can. And that's my advice.
0: Yeah, that's funny because one of the questions I was going to ask you was what are some of the main things that you look for and I guess that you look for or look for when you're hiring a nurse. And I guess that's one of the things you look for is that they're able to take on those responsibilities and and be a leader if you're not around. Is that correct?
1: Very much so. So on the, the days that I do take off, I know that the team that I have now is very solid. And my expectation of them is that when faced with a situation, and we're faced with situations every day, all different types, as you know, Jesse, Mm -hmm. all different things happen in a day um, that we deal with expeditiously and to the best of our abilities. But I do expect my staff to handle anything that comes up in the way that I would handle it. And um, in the past eight or nine months... That has become very clear that they are able to do that. And I'm Mm -hmm. very proud of that because it's a work in progress. Mm -hmm. Leading a team is definitely a work in progress. But I do look for those critical thinkers, those conscientious nurses, nurses who look at a whole system when they look at a patient, um, not just looking at a problem, but other problems that are contributing to it. And I'm very fortunate to be with the team that I'm with. I think they're a fantastic group, mm-hmm. but it definitely was, you know, we had some hurdles along the way and there was some work that had to be done, but they are a very good group. And I would say, again, for anyone who's really looking to, to be in any type of management role or rise up from staff nurse to really develop your skills, really develop them.
0: I like how you have such uh like, blind trust in your, in your employees or in the people under you to take care of your responsibilities when you're doing something like this. Like when I asked you, I said, Jen, like, I really want to interview you for, for the podcast. Like, is that okay? And you said, yeah, what, what day do you want to go? And I was like the 20th. You're like, okay, I'll just, I'll just make sure that everyone is, is doing their thing. And I think that's what separates Good leaders from great leaders. Good leaders, I believe, are able to lead the people underneath them or their or their employees, their right hands, their left hands. I think that they're able to lead them in the room when they're there. I think a great leader teaches their underlings, so to say, on how to lead and how to take on a re- responsibility like that when you're not around. So I think that's, like I said, that I think that's what separates a good from a great leader. Great leaders are people who enhance the abilities of others so they're not completely reliant on you when we're not here like right now your phone's not blowing up with problems in the nursing department or or any like them looking for solutions like i think that you've taught them to a level that they're able to take care of problems when they arise if the big gun isn't around so um (laughs) yeah i think that's really what separates being a good leader from a great leader so
1: Well, there's, thank thank you. There's an old adage that's give a man a fish. He eats for the day. Teach a man to fish. He's good for life. Mm -hmm. So my, when I came on board at Serene, my, um, after I observed everyone, because I sort of sat back and observed everyone for about a week or so. And then I developed a plan as to how to develop those supervisors to become great supervisors was to teach them the skill set, like you mentioned, Mm -hmm. whereas they could be independent and make those critical decisions. On their own. And that benefits them greatly, not just the organization or them as my team, but it, it benefits them for their professional development. And that was also a big reason as to why I taught them those skills. Mm-hmm. I really want them to develop professionally as nurses. And, you know, it's been successful so far.
0: Yeah. Just to give you guys a little background, um, Jen worked for us a couple of years ago. And then where did you go off after uh, working for Serene for a little bit?
1: I went to case management at an insurance company.
0: Okay. So after that, Jen actually came back to us. She came back. (laughs) She came back to us in February of 2020. So if anyone that lives on earth (laughs) knows anything (laughs) about 2020, it's that right around that end of February, early March, like, COVID-19 was beginning to hit and it was spreading around the world, literally around the world, which is a scary thing. So you were coming into the company to be the director of our whole, of our entire nursing department during COVID-19. So essentially, I guess the question I'd like to ask is one, how did that process, how was that process? And two, what have you learned from the beginning of COVID-19 or like the, the, Original quarantine to now, and how have like the operations changed in the office from when it first hit to now?
1: That's a great question. Mm-hmm. You know, COVID nineteen really took us by surprise. Um, we weren't expecting a worldwide pandemic, but that is what we got. Initially, when uh, we had a meeting in the um, the CEO's office in February, it was regarding what. What is the expectation of the organization during this time? Obviously, we were going to continue to service our patients, but how do we keep them safe? So myself and the nursing department, we wrote policy specifically directed towards keeping the patients safe. That had to do with PPE as well as staff trainings and keeping the staff, the field staff, in the loop throughout all the whole part of the pandemic that was specific to the tri-state area. Hitting the tri-state area, which was during that uh, March, April, May into June, where it was really the worst, where we had the highest uh, morbidity and mortality rates. We were very fortunate, I will say. We were able to keep servicing our patients without any pauses. We were able to distribute the personal protective equipment and acquire it without any issues. And we were able to keep running as a stable department, it was not always easy, and it was a learning curve. The amount of guidance at the time when this was very early on from the state and um, county government was not there. I don't blame the state and county government because the information that they were receiving was not always accurate, was spotty, and they often did not have the answers we were looking for. I had been an infection control nurse during swine flu and, um, i had actually contracted swine flu. Really? That was no fun. (laughs) Go on the record to say that was terrible.
0: Really? That's interesting. I, I, I remember swine flu when I was, I was a kid. I was probably in my early teenage years at that point. Yeah, I know, guys. I'm I'm young, all right. I'm 24 years old. <laughs> so I was a kid when swine flu hit, all right. So yeah, I don't I don't know if I actually knew anyone who contracted that. So that's actually pretty crazy. Like how how was that? Honestly, I don't I don't know the symptoms that are related to swine flu or anything. So like, how did you feel when that happened?
1: Well, I I was the infection control nurse, and I was rounding the units, and they didn't have mask implementation like we have with COVID 19 <laughs> because the uh, virulence of this was similar to a regular seasonal flu. But I had to tour the units every day in the facility I was working for make sure that they were doing terminal cleaning with bleach and water and that certain units were locked down. And I was very careful, careful, but apparently not careful enough. Yeah. And yeah, my husband was on um, nursing duty for me for about two weeks straight. Really? And my children were very young and I was quite ill with a high fever. It was fairly miserable.
0: That's crazy because... so. Another question I'd like to ask about that because were the symptoms for everybody who had swine flu similar because I know and I'm sure a lot of you know that the COVID-19 symptoms are extremely widespread there there's many different things that you could experience if you have the virus. I actually contracted COVID back in June and We had someone else in the office contract as well. And one of us, either I gave it to him or he gave it to me or whatnot. And we took the correct protocols and shut down the office. And I'm happy that we were able to, and I'm proud of our our Serene team, to say that we were able to um, keep working from home and working efficiently uh, when that happened. But getting back to the point, it's a little weird that COVID-19 or coronavirus is – So, like I said, the symptoms are so widespread. We had people in the office get in, including myself. And just by me being in association with them, I was like, okay, I need to go get tested. And I got tested and it came back positive. And I was like, I have coronavirus? Like, I'm fine. Like, I didn't really realize, like, I was even sick at all. The only symptom I personally had was I was just, I was sleeping a lot. I was just tired. So, I know some people that don't know, oh, and I lost my smell. I lost my sense of smell. I probably even now. This is months later. I have like probably fifty percent of my smell back. So, I guess, like, because I I also know a lot of people who, a lot of people passed away. A lot of people were extremely ill. And then, like I said, there's people like me who didn't have it. So, like, I guess with you being an infection control nurse, is it this is uncommon? Correct. Like, swine flu probably had a a specific set of symptoms and and like you know if you got it if this happened but coronavirus is kind of like widespread like i said
1: so swine flu much like the flu of 1918 had a, a pretty stable across the spectrum set of symptoms high fever chills cough upper respiratory symptoms extreme fatigue and that was pretty pretty much stable across all of the patient population that contracted it similar to the great flu of 1918 mm-hmm. what is markedly different with coronavirus is depending on the patient and a whole host of other, a whole host of other demographics, you could have someone who has the neurological presentation of losing your sense of smell. Okay. Mm -hmm. Or you could have someone who now has reduced kidney function. You can have someone who has reduced cardiac function as a result of contracting coronavirus, lung function. Um, we've never seen a virus in my 23 years of nursing that is this sophisticated in that it affects each patient differently and with different and differing, um, severity. It is amazing and extraordinarily frightening. Very frightening. I doubt we will see something like this again in our lifetimes. And my hope is that as time goes on, we have more information. I will say that the ways in which they're treating coronavirus now for patients who have found themselves hospitalized is very different than what we did in the beginning here in New York. Because the information we had in New York was, was very little, very little at the time. Now they know if someone's diagnosed with coronavirus and they have upper respiratory symptoms, they're throwing them on, uh, steroids and zinc right away. Mm-hmm. Because as zinc, the, really. yeah, yeah, pandemic, as the pandemic spread across the country, many of the practitioners, the, the doctors were, um, experimenting with different treatments and they found that high dose of steroids and zinc appear to help. So it's but like, like I said, it's extraordinarily frightening and it's very sophisticated, very, very sophisticated for a virus, a pandemic virus.
0: Now, I know it's uh, realistically it's I'm about to ask you an impossible question, but I want to. She's the big gun. She's got <laughs> to know. She's got to have the answer. He does.
1: He comes into my office and says so, the big guns. <laughs> so
0: how long do you think that coronavirus is going to be an issue? in the world and business and how we operate in our lives, how long are we going to have to wear masks for? Like, what what is your, what's your opinion on that? What do you think?
1: So we know from uh, previous pandemics, worldwide pandemics, that they're not usually a one and done deal. You're talking about uh, one to two years, generally, before we have a semblance of life back to normal. And this Mm -hmm. one to two years is from the start of the presentation of of when you really started seeing large segments of the population contracting coronavirus.
0: So I know that a vaccine, so to say, is in in the works currently. Do you think that, I mean, based off of how, like I said, how uh, you said the disease or the virus has so many different things that you can basically contract from it does that make it more difficult to find a vaccine for it? Or is, it, is that one to two-year period usually what it would take to make a vaccine for antivirus, just from how long it has to uh, be studied and analyzed?
1: I mean, typical vaccine development does take a long period of time, especially mm-hmm. with the clinical trials. I know, for instance, they just pulled – they were doing a clinical trial. I want to say it's Johnson & Johnson, but I may be incorrect. Mm-hmm. But the, the trial was pulled because there were some adverse effects To some, some of the subjects. So it does take, um, a pretty decent amount of time, one year or so, one and a half years to vet a vaccine before it's really rolled out well to the general population. But, um, typically for, you know, pandemics to work their way through, through the, the worldwide stage, it's about one to two years. If we're working off of history, the ones that I can think of, you know, the swine flu and, the great flu of 1918, which really ended in about 19, 1920, so about one to two years.
0: But we're even though we don't have a vaccine, you said they're giving people steroids and things like zinc, so the death rate is slowing down currently, right? Yes, so yes. do you think that could be attributed to people just being more cautious, or now that we kind of know how to handle it and take these different steroids or zinc? in order to make sure that we don't get the virus or.
1: Well, back in um, March, mm-hmm. February, March and April, I, I want to say the mortality rate in New York was hanging between five to 7%, maybe even as high as 10% mm-hmm. in, um, in the city in the five boroughs. Whereas the rest of the country now it's, it's falling back to about 4%. And I think the reason for that.
0: And that's in New York.
1: up. Uh, the rest of the country now so is about 4%. Four, okay, four okay. um, whereas early on, it was much higher. Part of that is because of um, social distancing, wearing of masks, um, enhanced uh, infection control measures. That's a significant mm-hmm. reason as to why that has gone down, that mortality rate. And also for individuals, the patients that are hospitalized, definitely the treatment protocols changing.
0: Yeah, I would, I would, ha- I would definitely agree. And the reason I asked because I do know that I was – when coronavirus hit, I was living in Florida. Uh, I moved back to New York in May, May 9th, I believe. And so when coronavirus first hit in Florida, people kind of just thought it was like a joke. Like it was a hoax. Like they were oh, we don't need to wear masks. Like we And Florida, mind you, is beautiful out every day. So people got off of work and everything closed down. And instead of staying in homes or in their homes and – social distancing everyone was outside doing things so I think um, like I said I was in Florida so that was my personal experience but I think that now people are a little more self-aware like all right no maybe I really should wear this mask because I don't want to get myself sick or if I have it and don't have those symptoms I don't want to get other people sick and I'm I'm glad that people are starting to realize that we have to take these precautions in order to keep not only yourself safe but to keep Other safe as well. So, like, shout out to the United States. We're doing, we're doing good. We're definitely doing better than we were, uh, when it first hit. So, yeah, I mean, I just want to give advice like, keep wearing your mask and keep social distancing because, like, the coronavirus is, it's still here. And I think that's, like, what this whole, uh, question is about. That although it hit when you first got back to Serene, like, we're still doing things today in order to handle that coronavirus and, and handle this, uh, pandemic so i'm very proud of the serene team because although it was difficult and people had to take on different responsibilities and had to wear uh several hats like we still got it done and unfortunately that's we can't say that much for other companies because other company a lot of other companies lost their lost their business essentially and I think that kind of also could be attributed to not taking it as seriously as we should have. And I think that you, as well as the other leaders in our company, did a really great job of making sure people knew that like this wasn't a joke. Especially because we are in healthcare, that we need to take this serious, and we did. And although we ran into problems like nurses or patients didn't want nurses in their homes because they because of coronavirus. Um, It was hard to staff cases because nurses were scared to go out and get it and different things like that. And we were still able to make ends meet and keep the business alive. And like I said, I feel like you're one of the people that that could largely be uh, contributed to. So great job with that, honestly, because it (laughs) was it was a stressful time for all of us. But like I said, we got through it coming off of that little topic right there i believe that since we had so much work together um not just you and i i'm saying uh since we had so many things going on within the office Mm -hmm. i would say that we as a team got a little closer and that brings me to my next question of what exactly does it mean to you to be a part of the serene team
1: that's a great question um, so to be a part of the Serene team means to be a part of a group of people who have come together to deliver the best care to patients on Long Island and in Queens. And I'm very proud to be a part of that team and to be a department head at Serene. It's a wonderful company. Um, it's run by a wonderful woman. And I feel very fortunate to be a part of that team.
0: Yeah, I think we all do. Because, like I said, we, even before the coronavirus, but especially now, so after it and after having gone through so many things together, like we are very close. I mean, there's actual family within the company. And then I think the rest of the employees all see each other and their coworkers as like family as well. So I think it's really cool that we have such a closely knit little serene community within the <laughs> office because. It makes work fun. You know what I mean? Like we we find a good balance and I think this is important for any business, uh, whether it's in healthcare or, I don't know, blue collar work, any type of white collar job, whatever it is. I think that it's important for you to know your team and to be and to closely associate with your team because if you're not, if you don't know each other very well and you have to work together, it's difficult. So I think we find a really good balance, and like I said, I think this is important for every business to find this balance between having fun and getting work done. So we joke around and anyone who's watching this who knows me, I, I'm, I'm the jokester of the uh, of the office for sure. and I hold myself accountable to my responsibilities, and I think that everyone else does too. So we have fun and. Make sure that everyone has laughs. I like to come upstairs and make everyone laugh up there, basically brighten up the day. But then we get right back to work, and that's very important in um, all types of business settings. Because, like I said, if you're not having fun at work, we don't we don't want our our employees to be miserable. Like we want everyone to have a good time, and I think that our company does a very good job of that. If I had any advice, if you guys are taking any advice from a 24 year old, I would say that to definitely operate as a team and that's so big to us that we say become a part of the serene team or or we this is the serene team we 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 use that term so much because a team and i played college basketball um, and anyone who's played a sport on a team that team is like your family and we take that very very serious and very close to heart that the serene team we are like a family and we we're closely knit we were um, a local company when we came up and now we're growing, but we still keep that, that small family like bond together. And I think that's really important in all business. Like I said, so if you're taking any advice from a 24 year old, it's to, uh, know your team, um, and appreciate them for what they do. And I think that the work goes over a lot more smoothly than if we were just, here's this piece of paper that you asked for and walk away. You know what I mean? So I think we do a great job of that. And I'm glad that you're, proud to be a part of the serene team because like i said i I feel like we all are coming off of that we're hearing a lot of different things from you You, you've had a lot of different experiences um you've led different teams and different companies but you always stayed true to healthcare and helping and nursing patients and and helping the patients so i want to ask what inspires you so what what makes you do what you do on a day-to-day basis because although you didn't want Managerial or, or leadership uh, responsibilities, you still took them on for the good of our patients. And I, w- I really would like to know what inspires you. And I'm sure everyone listening would like to know as well, because there's probably a lot of people who are pursuing a career in healthcare and sometimes in work in general, not just healthcare, but it's hard to find inspiration. So I think it would be good for our listeners to hear from you what inspires you, someone in your in your seat at your position, what, what inspires you to do what you do?
1: Well, on a personal level, my family, um, of course, every day inspires me to get up and be the best and do the best that I possibly can. In my professional life, I would have to say that I've always wanted to care for people in the best possible way that I could. And I want to continue to do that in a leadership role. And so my team inspires me. My patients inspire me every day. I feel very fortunate to be at Serene and to have that ability to affect the lives of people every day for the better. When I hear a positive story from a patient or a patient's family or from one of my team members, it brightens my day and just again verifies that I'm in the right place doing the right thing every single day.
0: That's awesome. And if you guys are listening and not uh, viewing the video, Jen's got a a smile from ear to (laughs) ear right now. So like what she's talking about is like truly genuine. And I think that's a, a really cool thing because some people do their job for money and that's fine. Um, we all need we all obviously need money to live we need money to pay our rent pay our bills to pay for food pay for our kids sports i don't have kids yet thank god um but yeah i think it's really cool because um jen is one of the few people that i could like truthfully say that when i see her doing her job she's just genuinely happy every day and doing her job and that's that's awesome because uh i actually was recently speaking on a friend of mine's podcast and we were talking about how it's not it's not often that you find a job that you just love to do and for someone to find a job that they seriously love to do they're genuinely very lucky so like you're what you're part of that that small percentage of people who just love their job like you get to go in i feel like for you it's not work even though it is it's it's really not so i think it's great that just caring for people and helping them in their in their uh, homes, essentially in the comfort of their homes, and making sure that they stay healthy, you truly just take pride in the fact that you do that, and it makes you happy. So that's that's really awesome. But saying that brings me to another question that I'd like you to answer because I'm interviewing you, and this is <laughs> this is my podcast. I'm the host. You have to answer the okay. questions that I, I ask. Okay, promise so, I will. Promise. Um, I we like i mentioned before serene started out very small we started with one case literally and uh i was lucky enough to be there from the beginning of the company and to see how it basically manifested into what it is today do you think that because we were were that that closely knit team and that we we were like I don't like to use the word mom and pop shop, but like you, you, you understand that like we were, we were like a family. It's a family based company, and it grew from something very small into something pretty large, and it's still growing. Do you think that because we have that atmosphere and that t- type of like family team going on in there, that it that we attract more people that genuinely like to do the things that a nurse does in their daily basis, whereas like a bigger company with 10,000, 50,000 nurses and it's a a countrywide company, do you think that we operate better and that the people actually care more about their job because of that closely uh, knit family that we have or do you think that it alters?
1: I think it definitely attracts people who um, are interested in working for a company where the founder of the company is accessible where the people that work there know each other, like each other, and love what they do. I think that filters down to the staff, and they can see that every day in their interactions with us. I think it's definitely an asset versus a more corporate environment Mm -hmm. where you are just another number, just another body heading out to a case. It's very different here. We often know our nurses on a much more personal level. Mm -hmm. We interact with them daily And I definitely think it does make a difference.
0: Yeah, I do too. So I'm glad we agree because I don't want to argue with (laughs) you, Jen. I think that – well, I know that a lot of different companies out there, very large companies, people won't even – know what their ceo looks like they'll never meet them or anything and i think that it's good that we have a ceo that comes in and knows everyone by their first name asks how they're doing throughout their day and like even someone in your position like they might not ever know the director of the nursing department if you were overseeing i don't know a hundred thousand nurses whatever whatever these big companies do so i do definitely think that i agree with you we Because we're so closely knit and everyone knows each other, it kind of makes the job a lot easier. And and I also believe that our employees feel more appreciated. And again, if you guys want to take any advice from a 24-year-old, I think – and I'm not saying this as I don't technically have employees under me. I'm saying this more from experience as well and just from seeing what happens in different companies that I've worked at and and different things that happen – appreciation for your employees goes a long way it really does everyone's doing their responsibilities and everyone has a lot on their plate but just a simple you're doing a good job or that project that you did was exactly how i wanted it thank you very much you got it on time you're you're the best like i don't know something small and i think you do a good job of that because you're everyone who works under you feels appreciated and It's often that people have a a boss or a manager above them that they don't really like to answer to, essentially. And I don't think that you're one of those people. I think that everyone truthfully enjoys being in your presence. And, and, I mean, I don't know if anyone likes answering to anyone, but (laughs) they they, they tolerate it. And and it's fine to them because you're not bossing them around, essentially, unless you guys need it. Sometimes, like I said, she's the big guns, But... Really, like, the people in our company appreciate it because I think we do a great a great job of letting them feel appreciated. And I feel like, like I said, you're one of the people that does that the most.
1: Well, I thank you. I mean, I have been in a position in the past where I did not feel appreciated, where I was mm-hmm. not in leadership, not in a leadership position, did not feel appreciated, you know, and the environment was more punitive. And so when I... um was promoted into leadership i I made it a priority to let um, the staff that report to me know that they are important that they are appreciated that I care about their professional development yes, I will hold you accountable of mm-hmm. course but As I um, need leadership yes yeah but if it's a learning curve and this is it's an edu- it's something having to do with education I'm going to give you those tools so that it doesn't so that the issue doesn't arise again and I am very interested in their their professional development mm-hmm. um, whatever wherever they go in life or whatever they choose, I want them to look back at, at the time at Serene as a great well, I hope they're always with us but mm-hmm. as a time of great development. In their, in their nursing careers. I think that's very important. I think when you give employees the tools of professional development, appreciation, education, those are huge tools, you know, and it inspires loyalty, you know, because they're developing themselves as nurses and they feel like they're heard um, if they have concerns or there's a disagreement maybe with something that I've put forward, they will come and tell me and I will hear them and listen to them because perhaps I wasn't considering their perspective, and that's very important as a leader. So.
0: Yeah, I'm, I really like how you're talking about how um, you you want their you want you you care about their career, and you want yes. them to basically grow and to become better and make more money and and be better for themselves. And not only are you saying that, but you actually are like that. We're on air right now, and we're, we have people listening to us, so. I want you guys to know that even when we were driving in today, we said something that stuck with me a little bit. We were talking about interviewing. I'm in the process of trying to move up in Serene. So right now I've been listening to a lot of interviews for new uh, employees coming in to the, uh, the company. And I was like, yeah, Jen, like I think a lot of people lie on their on their resume, which don't do that, people. Like <laughs> seriously, just, just don't do no. that. Like it's just it doesn't. You're going to get caught. (laughs) that's, That's really what it comes down to. You don't think you're getting caught, but you're getting caught. So don't lie. And like I said, it stuck with me because you said that. You're like, yeah, like I would rather take on an employee that said, I don't know how to do that. I don't have vent training, but I am very willing to learn and I would love to get good at it so that I can have that and put that or bring that to the table for Serene. So you really do care about their career growth because you said you would, you would rather teach someone like that than to hire someone that you think is lying about the the event experience or whatever experience they said that they have. So I think that's a, I think that's a page out of Jen's book that everyone should take because it's very important for, as a company to grow, you need your people under you to grow as well. Any company and Nick always says this to me. And I really love this analogy. Any company is like a tree. If the tree is top heavy and the base is not, the tree will collapse. Any company starts from the base up. So we want our employees and everyone in office to grow and to get better and learn from their experiences throughout the company so that that base could be strong so that our cases can expand and, and everything could blossom and basically grow to its full potential because we have that strong base so i think it's really great that you don't just care about the paycheck getting back to that you you really care for what you do and you care for the people that work with you and that's very important that's that's really super important as a leader because a lot of people are very good at a job but can't lead someone else on how to do it and that brings me to my next question what are some ways that you personally are able to connect with the people that you work with in order to teach them what you do? Because like I said, some people are can be really good at a job. For example, if you're a basketball player and mm-hmm. you score 30 points a game and have 10 assists a game and then you become a coach and you don't really do anything with your coaching career, doing something is... And then teaching someone else how to do it are two completely different things. So if you have any advice for anyone on that, what would that be exactly?
1: All right. So if I, if I notice that one of my, uh, my staff perhaps is a little deficient in one area and they've expressed interest also in, in learning more about it, I will do everything I can to assist them in getting the knowledge that they need, whether it is seeking outside training or in-house training or, um, doing a hands-on training with me. Um, I will do everything that I can to make sure that they have access to that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's very important, very important when you have people who report to you. You, you want them to be, have a, a breadth of knowledge. And in order to facilitate that, there's times where you're going to need to teach them. Um, And the best way to do that is really to approach in a non-judgmental manner and say, hey, you know, I noticed that, um, you know, X, Y, Z, do you think perhaps, you know, you'd like to learn about this a little bit more in depth?
0: Mm -hmm.
1: And any time that I've used that approach, the employee has said, absolutely, I'd love to. I've never had anyone who was not open to learning. Mm
0: -hmm. Well, that's I think that could be uh, I think the reason for that is because, like you said, you hold people to a certain standard before you hire them. You, you don't hire them if you don't think that they could reach that standard. Yes. So I think that it's good that you have a clear set of, uh, I guess, skills and requirements that you have to hire these people because when you hire them, you want them to be that person, like you said in the car, that I don't know how to do that, but I'm willing to learn I want to learn. And it, it really shows – because you're not only saying these things, but that's truthfully how you lead and that's how everyone in your department is. So I think that's really cool that you take the time out to actually teach people and help them grow as opposed to just getting upset with them when they don't do something the way you wanted it done.
1: Oh, no, no. I've, I've been that nurse in the past mm-hmm. that has the knowledge deficit. Mm-hmm. So if it wasn't for some good mentorship at times, I doubt I would have become the leader that I am. And part of that is really having that, that ability to access that knowledge at the time that I really needed it. And so it's very important to me to offer that I'm not a punitive leader by nature, because that is not what I would want in my leader. Mm -hmm. I think leadership is not about being punitive or punishing. I think it's about, um, helping someone develop Mm -hmm. so that they can, um, meet really, um, the standards that you've put in
0: place. I agree. Because, like I said, this, uh, I guess we could tie it back into what I said before about like just people feeling appreciated. I said the pat on the back and the good job is is something that people love to hear. And yes, but there's other forms of appreciation in that appreciation is shown when you take the time out of your day to teach someone how to do something. So I think that's very important for leadership. And since we're on the topic of leadership, I have a personal question that I want to ask. I guess the best way for me to do it is I'll give you my opinion and see what you think about this opinion and if you believe it to be true. And if not, what is your opposing ideas to it? So when I think of leadership, yes, I think of someone who, like I said, needs needs to have that, that fire in them that brings them to the front of the room, that people are naturally drawn to this leader. Do you think that although you need that and uh, great leaders are able to essentially teach their followers and, and and lead them in the direction that they're supposed to go and help them with their personal growth. Do you think that it is important for a leader in a management position or a CEO or I, I don't know, any type of leadership position within a company or in life in general, do you think it's important for them to be able to learn from their followers as well?
1: Oh, absolutely. 100%. Mm-hmm. I can't tell you the amount of times that I have learn something that I did not know or mm-hmm. perhaps it was in front of me and I wasn't aware mm-hmm. countless times. Yeah. You always th- – there are ways that we move from um, novice to expert and that learning continuum never stops. Yeah. So it doesn't matter if I was, you know, di- like you said, director of nursing for, um, you know, a company that has a quarter million nurses underneath them. Yeah you are always learning and you must understand that learning comes from different avenues too. It can certainly come from one of my staff and it has come from one of my staff, Mm -hmm. um, several of my staff before or from outside sources. It never ends. And part of being a good leader is understanding that learning never ends. There's always ways to learn more, strive to do better and continue to do better when you do learn more.
0: Yeah. I, like I said, I, Well, I agree. I'm glad we agree on that because I feel like uh, I said this was a personal question because recently I feel like that's been coming up a lot and I've been telling people what my idea of leadership is. And if I'm – listen, I I find myself to be one of those natural leaders. Do you agree with that? I do. Yeah, so I know – and I manifest the things that I want in life. I don't know if those who are watching believe in manifestation, but I manifest the things I want. So I know and I tell myself that I'm going to be in these leadership roles. And what I have been telling people lately, it's been coming up a lot in different, in my different friend groups, uh, with people in the office and different things. I'm sure I've, I've said it to you before, honestly, too. But my idea of leadership is if I'm the CEO of a company or even upper level management, anything. And I have my team in front of me. I'm going to say, this is the, this is the problem at hand. X, Y, and Z is the problem at hand. And this is how I believe that we should, this is what I think we should implement in order to solve this problem. Uh, This is my solution for this, for X, Y, and Z. I think it's important that if you're in that leadership position, that that conversation does not end right there. I think that. How I would lead and, ha- and how I've led in the past on on different teams I was on and group projects at school and different things, I would say, this is what I think that we should do. What do you guys think we should do in order to tweak it? And I think that's like really important as a leader and even as like teammates, uh, even like I said, group projects, like if you don't have a, so, like a specific leader of the group, it's still always good to hear everyone's ideas. and I, I feel like I'm usually the person when I'm leading. If someone is isn't talking, I'll be like, well, what do you think about this? Like call them out because I want to hear as many ideas as possible in order to attack that X, Y, and Z mm-hmm. and find the correct solution because like you said, as a leader, you're always learning even from the people under you and I truthfully believe that no one on this planet knows everything. And you're just, you're, you're always <laughs> look at your face when you said like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no one knows Nobody that not because not. some mm-hmm. people, some people act like they do. And I think it's really important for a leader to be able to learn from the people under them and say, Hey, I thought my idea was good, but their idea, how they tweaked it is actually a lot better. We should do that. And I think that people lose sight and they let, tithe, uh, they let pride take over and basically say, Oh, I don't want to do that idea because it was mine. Um, I'm the leader of the group, so we should do it this way. But I think it's very important to take their ideas in and think about the success of the company or the 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 success of the um, the team project. If the idea is best, it should be implemented. And I believe that in business. I believe that in any type of, I don't know, working scenario. So I think it's very important that leaders are able to learn from their employees or people underneath them and like you said you you learn things every day correct like from people underneath you
1: oh absolutely yeah absolutely and um you know you this is a title i have a title Mm -hmm. you put your ego aside because every day you are still learning Um, and i think a very valuable tool to your point is having open forums with your staff where they can voice how they feel and voice their suggestions So I can certainly say I'm, this is how I feel we should tackle this problem. And I have morning meetings with my staff every day. This is how I feel we should tackle this problem. My staff are confident and they understand that they can give me feedback and, and also voice their suggestions. And we will discuss it as a group and come up with a solution as a group. And I think that's very valuable too.
0: Yeah. Getting back to the, uh, the essence of this podcast and what it's about. Um, we've been speaking a lot about business today, and I love it. I, I love that we're, we're hearing advice from someone who's in a position of leadership and how we're hearing her advice on how she should uh, or how people should basically conduct themselves as a leader within a company. But I want to get back to healthcare a little bit. And I have a question written down here that says, if you could do anything to improve healthcare in America, what would you do?
1: It's a really great question. I know we Mm -hmm. talked a little bit about this in the car, Mm -hmm. greater accessibility for general populations, including at risk and marginalized populations. I think it's Mm -hmm. incredibly important as well as um, Mm -hmm. access to preventative care. I think that would be huge. That is what I would, that would be my suggestion. Now, we also discussed in the car about making an action plan of that. And I've, I've, discussed it in, in papers in graduate school, but have never moved to really put a plan into action, of course, because it's such a large undertaking. Mm-hmm. But uh, my suggestion would be, of course, that there would have to be some um, changing to the current healthcare uh, system that we have in place right now, um, mm-hmm. some expansion of basic services to all populations, and then a separate option for private insurance as well.
0: Yeah, I I could definitely agree to that. And as a kid, I didn't realize how many people don't have access to these things. And as I got older, I realized that, I guess, I don't like to use the word spoiled, but I was was spoiled in the sense that my father was a union worker in Manhattan. So he has unbelievable benefits. And I am under his benefits until I'm 26 years old. Two more years. <laughs> Two more years. <laughs> That—that's a scary thing to me. Which is the whole reason I'm saying this is because I didn't realize that not everyone has that accessibility or that access. I'm sorry to uh, basically go into the hospital if you think you broke your leg or I think I tore a ligament during a sport. My dad would bring me straight to the whatever doctor I needed to see. Like people don't have that. Basically, they don't have that ability to do that because the the access is just not there for every individual. If you don't have the correct insurance or whatnot, so yeah, I think it's really important that we basically for healthcare in America that we start letting people get more access to healthcare because it's scary that people genuinely have these uh, these health issues and these diseases and these injuries that they just can't get treatment for. And yeah, like I said, that's a, that's a scary thing. Mm-hmm. All right. So um, I think we have done a great job here today of answering one of the questions that I brought to the table for you, because even though, like I said, you're the big guns, I'm always picking your brain. I think I learned a lot about you today, which is really cool, because uh, we also learned about your leadership abilities and how to become a leader and how to be a, an efficient leader. So now I know not only your ideals and how you implement them, but like I know you more as a, as a leader now. So I thought that was really cool. And uh, I thank you very much for coming out here and taking the day out of your your job to uh, basically be on my podcast or be on the Serene podcast. And, yeah, like I said, thank you very much for coming out here, Jen. I would love to have you again soon. And, yeah.
1: Thanks for having me. Bye-bye, everyone. And it was a pleasure.
0: Thank you for listening to The Schnap. Please don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. And also, please don't forget to follow us on Instagram and YouTube at The Schnapp. That's The S-H-N-A-P. This is your host, Jesse Condon, signing off.